Hello, and welcome to Autistically Unapologetic, the unfiltered and unmasked podcast about everything autism. Here's your host, Devin Morrissey. Hello, and welcome to Autistically Unapologetic with me, Devin Morrissey. I want to officially welcome you all to episode 11, where today I'm going to be talking about speech language pathology. Now, speech language pathologists, or SLPs, are experts in communication. And believe it or not, some of their clients they work with include autistic individuals. This week's special guest is a current speech language pathologist working with autistic individuals in Seattle, Washington. On a personal note, this guest has been one of my oldest childhood best friends. We literally grew up together in our hometown of Danville, California, from the time that we were in preschool all the way to graduating high school together. I'm very, very, very excited to have her on the podcast today. Please welcome to Autistically Unapologetic, Bridget Carp. Welcome, Bridget. Hi, everyone. <laughs> How have you been? It's been a minute. I've been good, just working and living up in Seattle, experiencing some dramatic weather today, lots oh, of hail. Yeah. So it's been interesting to see through the window, but overall, it's been a pretty good day. Um, you were just in LA this past week, and it just started raining today. So I think we might have gone some of that Seattle weather here with us now in LA. <laughs> Yes, I think so. <laughs> well, Bridget, thank you so much for coming on um, and really being open and honest to talk a little bit about speech language pathology, since that is what you currently are as an occupation and how it relates to autism, since that's something I know that you're very passionate about. Yes. So there's a lot of connections between speech language pathology and autism. I work with many autistic individuals. Most of them are middle school age, so sixth through eighth grade, but I also work with some kindergartner and first grade autistic students as well. So they're connected in that many autistic individuals seek out or receive speech therapy to work on bolstering their communication skills and helping them to communicate, not just at school, but also in their day-to-day lives inside and outside of the classroom. Mm. Ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? Um, and just out of curiosity, what are some examples of speech language pathology? Sure. So there are nine main areas that speech language pathologists treat. At the schools, I work with many autistic individuals on language concepts, articulation therapy, stuttering, if that is something they experience using an AAC device. Mm. So that's short for alternative and augmentative communication. So something like an iPhone or an iPad with communication software, and then also providing autistic individuals with strategies on how they can be themselves but communicate in a way that feels authentic to them and allows them to live a great day-to-day life. I love that. I mean, those are some examples that I feel like I might have remembered growing up doing, although it's been kind of a long time. It's like going back to the vault. But I love that just because I think that a lot of autistic kids and especially teenagers, like they're kind of been pressured to fit this norm. But in reality, 
with SLPs and what you're doing is really helping them kind of be themselves, which is super, super, super important. Um, now, as I mentioned earlier, we literally have grown up together, literally in the same hometown from the time that we were, I think, three, four years old. So we go way back. Um, what was your first exposure to being around autistic and other neurodiverse kids growing up? Sure. In my personal life, I think it was with you. I wouldn't have known it was autism as we were growing up. Um, but, you know, I learned more about autism and different disabilities and disorders. And another experience I had in high school was I was in the leadership class and once a week. Yeah. Some of us chose to go into the special education classroom and eat lunch with the students that were in that classroom. Really? And it was, yes, it was a very diverse group of students in the classroom. Some were in wheelchairs, some were completely mobile, could easily move and walk around. And the kind of main theme of the class was, most of them have autism. And so you would get to learn how to communicate with these individuals. And I realized that even though their communication style was different than my own, and they had difficulties with communicating, you could tell they wanted to communicate something to you, okay. whether that was gratitude for sitting with them during lunch that day, whether it was something exciting that happened to them or they were looking forward to. Um, so that was really my first introduction to autistic individuals um, at the high school level. Um, and then my relationship with autistic individuals has just grown from there. Wow. I had absolutely no idea that you did that back in high school. That's amazing. I had yeah. literally no idea. I had no idea that the leadership class at our high school actually did that because I, I never saw anyone went in there so that's pretty awesome that you and yeah. a lot of the other kids i would have never thought actually did that that's amazing tell me a little bit about what got you interested in working with autistic kids as a speech language pathologist like what made you want to work with autistic kids sure so in my career as a speech therapist i actually started my career and my education to become a speech therapist in a medical speech therapy setting. So initially I wasn't sure about working with autistic individuals in the way that I do today. I've always been interested in working with children and students, um, but initially I was planning to work in the medical field, in the medical side of speech language pathology. But I as I- yeah, as I continued my journey postgraduate school, I found myself in schools. And many of the students on my caseload happened to be autistic. So I sort of fell into this world of working with autistic students. And I've been working with them for the past five years almost. Yeah, so it wasn't anything I initially planned, but since working in schools, it's a group of individuals I've worked with quite a bit and learned a lot about. 
That's awesome. That really is truly amazing. Like, because when you're in schools with other kids that come from a wide range of backgrounds, you really get to know um, to a, never judge a book by its cover. And two, you really get a chance to walk in someone else's shoes. So for you to like actually see that, it, it's pretty incredible. Um, and speaking of education, um, let's talk a little bit about the education that you pursued and earned in order for you to become a certified SLP. You have to get certified, right? Yes. Okay. So um, you start <laughs> with a degree in college or an undergraduate degree. Mine was in speech and hearing sciences at the University of Washington, Seattle. Ooh. But in order to pursue graduate school, your degree doesn't necessarily have to be in a related field. Uh, mine certainly was. Then I went to Yeshiva University and received my master's in speech language pathology. It's about a two-year program. It's accelerated. So it's a little shorter than two years. Um, once you complete your graduate education, mm -hmm. you then complete what's called the clinical fellowship. Oh. So the clinical fellowship, you have your own caseload, but you have a supervisor that observes you when you're first starting out, especially they observe the sessions or the treatment you're providing they help guide you through how to conduct meetings for your students. And that process can last anywhere from nine months to two years, depending on how quickly it goes by. Uh, mine was about a year. So mm. kind of right in the middle. Then uh, once you <laughs> have your clinical fellowship complete, you have to get a state license. And that's actually what allows you to practice mm. speech language pathology and to treat students or clients or patients and um, work with individuals seeking those resources and services. Yes. I do have my uh, licensure, my C's is what we call them. Um, so that's just another certification that SLPs can get if they mm -hmm. choose to do so. It's more of a national license as opposed to the state license, which you need um, regardless of if you have your C's or not. And then once you have your state license ready to go, you can then practice speech language pathology. That's impressive because I remember, I think you literally just finished your time um, at Yofstra, did I pronounce that right? Yeshiva. <laughs> Yeshiva. You finished up your time at Yeshiva University, I think right around the time that I was beginning to start my master's at USC. And if I recall, you started, I think, as an SLP in California, right? Yes, I did. So I started after I graduated school in New York. I moved back home. Um, every state has different licensure requirements. And in California, they were more attainable for myself, as opposed to staying in New York and getting a New York state license. Mm. So I moved back to California. And I worked in California for about two years. Yes. Um, before moving to Seattle. Yes. And then with the state license you had in California, were you able to transfer that over to Washington State so that you didn't have to redo everything that you did? 
So yes and no. Some states have what's called reciprocity, where if you mm. present your existing state license, they will reciprocate that and give you the state license you're in. In Washington state, if you are planning to work with children that are school age, so pre-K to uh, 21 years of age mm. in Washington state, you have to have an educational a, a certificate that you can get through the schools um, that allows you to work with school age children. Mm. If you want to work with uh, the birth to three population or with adults, um, they have different licensures for those populations. Um, so I was able to retain my license but i did have to take an extra course wow. to work with the school age children but every state's a little bit different yeah no because i remember um that you decided that you were going to move back to seattle because seattle has a huge um special place of your heart i felt like once you leave our little hometown to go somewhere else then it's kind of like you just want to stay there it's yeah. something that's kind of a common thing in our hometown. No, but Seattle is absolutely beautiful. Um, my girlfriend's actually originally from there. And so she grew up there a good majority of her life. And so we are already figuring out when to go back to, to Seattle. <laughs> um, and just out of curiosity, what parts of your degree are actually related to autism, if I may ask? Sure. So some of the courses that you take during your graduate program, they're not autism specifically, but developmental disabilities mm -hmm. is one. And autism is a developmental disability. Um, most times, if found early, children can be diagnosed with autism as early as two years old. Yes. Um, sometimes it happens a little later. Um, but now more and more we're seeing early diagnoses, which is a good thing because then those children can receive services earlier. Um, so developmental disabilities is a course I took that is related directly to autism. Mm -hmm. One second here. Um, and then I took a pediatrics course. So essentially you learn about pediatric language development. Mm. Um and how the brain, as it ages through childhood, how it picks up language and things. But a lot of what I've learned about autism and how to support autistic students has been from other SLPs, from continuing education courses that I have taken on my own accord, and mm -hmm. just doing my own research to learn more about the autism community, how they communicate, and how we can support their communication. I love that. I love that. And you're so right. Like, you know, I know that like people on the autism spectrum get diagnosed really young. Like I got diagnosed when I was the age of three, I think literally right around the time that we met, you know, but people are also getting diagnosed, you know, later on in life. I mean, there yes. are people that get diagnosed in their 20s or their 40s or even their 50s or 60s, you know, and I think that what you're doing to help my, my community to, you know, develop that important language, whether they're verbal or nonverbal, it's a, a really beautiful thing. 
Um, now, you are actually not autistic, but as you mentioned, you do support the autism community in many ways. I can 100% back that up since we grew up together. Um, in fact, you have learned a lot about our community that I understand that you once said, quote, it really shaped your views on autism and as a result has made you a much better SLP. What are some examples that made you a better speech language pathologist based on your constant support for the autism community and the continuous research that you've done? Sure. So something I've learned a lot more about recently is supporting how autistics communicate and their unique way of communicating. Because something that's really important to keep in mind is that autistics have their own way of communicating and their communication is valid. It does, it may look different than mine, uh, someone who's neurotypical or not autistic, um, but both forms of communication are valid. So I've learned a lot about how autistic individuals communicate and how to support their unique style of communication. And I think what's becoming more apparent in the field of speech language pathology is that more and more SLPs are realizing this viewpoint of autistics communicate in their own way. However, it's a valid form of communication and we have to respect that and we have to acknowledge that and support how they want to communicate. Another topic I've learned a lot about is called gestalt or gestalt language processing. Mm. So there's two types of ways that individuals can process language. So we have analytical language processing, mm -hmm. which is how many individuals that are not part of the neurodivergent community process and learn language is they learn individual words. They learn how to pair those words together. And they learn that they can take words they've heard in a sentence, take those words apart and combine them with words from other sentences. Yes. Or autistic individuals, not all, but many autistic individuals are gestalt language processors hmm. where they learn language and process language in chunks. So oftentimes, um, I know you're a singer, so you know a lot of lyrics and things. <laughs> you most definitely but... did grow up with me, Bridget. <laughs> yes. So many autistic individuals will repeat uh, sentences they've heard on television from their family members, from schoolmates, um, from songs, for example. And they will use those gestalts phrases to communicate. But it's something you have to be familiar with and you have to know that individual or learn about that individual to figure out why are they using this particular phrase to communicate this idea or they repeat this one phrase very often mm -hmm. you know every day multiple times a day but it might be something that we're not really sure what they're trying to communicate we just know they are trying to communicate something so if you have, for example, um, like in Dora the Explorer, she always is saying, let's go. That's her catchphrase. So many autistic individuals, um, that's just one example, but there's many shows out there. Um, they have that phrase and they'll use that in multiple different contexts to communicate different messages. So as an SLP, 
I have to figure out, okay, here's their phrase. Let's go. But, um, you know, we're in class and we're watching a movie and they keep saying, let's go. What are they actually trying to communicate? Mm. It may be they're trying to communicate, let's go as in, let's start the movie. Or yeah. let's go as in, maybe this movie is too much for me. Maybe it's overstimulating. So let's go take a break somewhere else, just as examples. So what we do then that is we take their phrases that they're using, like let's go, we combine it with other words so they can expand their communication. So it might turn to let's take a break. Mm -hmm. Let's go for a walk. Let's play together. So I would say just acknowledging and accepting <clears throat> those different ways of communicating and then also understanding how some autistic individuals process and learn language have been mm. two really big topics that I've become more interested in recently. Honestly, I couldn't agree more with everything that you just said. It is, it's definitely a journey to process language and it takes a little bit longer than I think neurotypicals usually take to process language growing up. I mean, I was nonverbal till the time that I was three. And I literally learned, as you said, through music, through entertainment, and now being able to like actually have a regular conversation with you, I surprised my own self sometimes by even being able to do that. Like the music that I learned growing up and how maybe watching all of those Disney movies growing up might have benefited me in the long run. But as my parents like to say the phrase, um, once they got me talking, uh, they instantly regretted it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so who are some autistic people that you've learned a lot from and as a result have inspired you to continue this speech language pathology journey that you've been on now for the last few years? Sure. So a lot of individuals that I follow are on Instagram. Instagram. I've learned a lot from them. They are actually autistic. And um, many of them are from Love on the Spectrum. Ooh, um, I've really? also learned, yeah, I've also <laughs> learned a lot from um, neurodivergent SLPs. Mm. So some of them are autistic themselves. Some of them have ADHD. Some of them have both. So AUDHD. Um, and then just learning from other SLPs that have made working with autistic children their passion and seeing how they are um, approaching therapy for autistic children because yes. uh, there's a lot of change happening, which is good. Yes. Uh, we're seeing more SLPs learning about autism and autistic individuals and really tuning into what autistic individuals are trying to tell us and trying to say. Um, so I think it's important just to continue researching, uh, continuing to learn from actually autistic individuals as you can, um, and just continuing to open your mind to the autism community. Absolutely. And I think that when we're talking a lot about opening minds to the autism community, like we haven't really seen a lot of media that revolves around autistic individuals. But now, like you said, 
Love on the Spectrum did a great job of that. But, like, it's not the only one. We've seen maybe The Good Doctor. I mean, Sesame Street, they included an autistic Muppet. Um, I know that there was a show called Everything's Gonna Be Okay. You had um, Kayla Cromer and Lillian Carrier um, on that show. And Jonathan Thomas as well. They were all on the spectrum. And they did an amazing job of sort of displaying the language and the communications that we autistics have to work extremely hard at it isn't easy but like you know just to be taken seriously but i think that being able to be seen and be out there and let people know like hey this is how we communicate and we actually have a voice it's really awesome to see that when people actually like you actually acknowledge that so i think that's really awesome um so tell us a little bit about your slp practice now and what are you currently doing for work Sure. So I currently work uh, primarily at a middle school and most of my caseload is individuals with a variety of different disabilities. Many of them are autistic. Um, some have different developmental disabilities and a lot of what I do with them is teaching them how, how to communicate um, their wants and needs and other functions of communication. Sometimes it's with an AAC device. Um, so at the schools, we have AAC devices for each individual student. And um, there's a software called Proloquo to Go. There are many different communication softwares out there on the market, uh, but Proloquo to Go is the one we use at my school. Yeah. And a lot of times my job is to teach these students how to navigate their AAC device, to teach them how they can use the device to communicate. Um, some of them are non-speaking, yeah. meaning that they can communicate, but either speech is hard for them or they don't have verbal speech. So using something like an AAC device allows them to communicate more clearly yeah. with the other individuals in the room. I also support students with learning about topics like perspective taking um, and self-advocacy mm -hmm. is another important one. Self-advocacy yes. is important for everyone, but especially for autistic individuals. I oh, think yeah. it gives them that power to say, if they're able to say no to something or I need help or to self-advocate is a very powerful thing to be able to do. And so I support my students with and without autism um, with that self-advocacy, that perspective taking um, and teaching them how to use their unique communication style to communicate with their classmates, their friends, uh, with myself and the other people in their group yes. um, and just really supporting their unique style of communication and having it help them to function throughout their day. That's absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm super impressed with what you do. Do not stop. <laughs> and then the last question, Bridget, is um, the autism community is constantly progressing forward to not only better awareness, but overall better acceptance by society who for some reason hasn't always seen autism in a public in a positive light or as a positive asset to society 
Um, in your opinion, Bridget, where do you see speech language pathology headed in the autism community as we continue to push for more awareness and acceptance? I think especially in the past five years since becoming a speech language pathologist, uh, when I first started, the autism movement and autism acceptance was still relatively new and people were still yes. trying to wrap their heads around it. Um, and there are still many people that are trying to wrap their heads around this concept of autism and that autistic individuals bring lots of value to society at large. Yeah. Um, we just have to kind of tap into it and learn more. It's may not be the most obvious uh, thing, what they are bringing to the world. Um, I think we're definitely headed in the right direction. There's still a lot of work to be done um, in the fields of speech language pathology and education overall. Um, there's still a lot of work to be done around um, autism in those settings. But overall, I'm seeing a positive trend towards acceptance, acknowledging, and um, really listening to those autistic voices and supporting mm -hmm. those individuals um, and not trying to fix them or yes. um, make them fit a neurotypical image. Um, I'm trying in my work to support them as they are um, and provide them the tools that they are going to find useful um, because they're in middle school and soon they'll be in high school and soon oh, they'll yeah. be going on to bigger things. So, um, you know, providing those resources and supports for them um, is really vital as they move forward. So I'm hoping that we continue to want to learn more about autism and learn how to support these individuals um, in a positive light. You definitely are beyond supportive in a positive light, um, just from my own experience, because as people may know that are listening to this, Bridget has always been there um, throughout our entire childhood growing up when I was going through that time where I found out that I was autistic. I didn't really want people to know. But then when I actually did say that I was autistic, people were like, oh, Bridget was one of the people that have always been there and actually understood. So I thank you for being a real one. <laughs> um, well, listen, Bridget, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and really talking to us and really kind of giving us sort of a light into this wonderful world of speech language pathology. What you're doing is incredible and I cannot wait to see what you do next. Um, for all of you out there, if you like what you heard on this episode and want to hear other episodes or stay tuned for future ones, please be sure to like, comment, and subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and on YouTube. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I'm Devin Morrissey, and I'll see you next time right here on Autistically Unapologetic. Thanks for listening to this episode of Autistically Unapologetic with Devin Morrissey. If you like what you hear and you want to see more, don't forget to rate and subscribe to stay tuned for future episodes. Again, thanks for listening.